You're listening to What's the Difference podcast, a podcast about resilient women living our best lives with invisible disabilities. Created and hosted by Jackie Rosen and co-hosted by Cynthia Chang Mintz, Sarah Patel, and Samantha Moore. To view the video version of this episode, please visit our website at whatsthedifferencepodcast.ca. You can also connect with us on Instagram or Facebook at What's the Difference Podcast or on Twitter at Podcast WTD. Welcome to another episode of What's the Difference Podcast. Today you have me, your host, Jackie Rosen, and I'm joined by one of our regular co-hosts, Sarah Patel. Today we're going to have a very um, a very different conversation. Normally we have a guest on and we have more people involved, but we're going to just do it's a conversation with the two of us. And today's topic is about bullying and bullying we experienced because of our disabilities when we were growing up and in school. So we're going to start with Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. No problem. Thank you. And um, just kind of start out with what's your earliest memory uh, of being bullied in school or maybe even in an environment that wasn't school, but by, you know, but by children of the same age as you at the time? Yeah, so I feel like my earliest memory um, uh, being bullied or what I considered was being bullied was fairly young. I would say around maybe 10 or 11 or maybe even a bit um, younger. Um, As we know, sometimes, you know, when we don't like good experiences, our brain likes to block those memories out. Um, But yes, I would say around um, as a as a very young child, unfortunately, I was sort of experienced um, signs of bullying or just um, a nice It was was it more just like verbal or was it did it ever turn physical? What what happened? Do you remember or if if you don't want to talk about this and it brings up because it is it is triggering for a lot of people. (laughs) So but but what you know, what do you remember that you would like to share with us as far as whether it was, you know, physical or mental or like um, that kind of? Yeah, no, for sure. So I unfortunately had various forms of bullying. Um, Some of it was verbal. Some of it was um, not being treated fairly or um, like, for example, being um, I don't have night vision. Um, and so be, me being left alone in, in a park and nobody wanting to help me um, to get to wherever they're going. Um, so, you know, sometimes that people can be like, oh, maybe they just forgot to help you. But it's like they, um, in this case, people definitely did know that I did have a visual, um, like I was partially sighted and I did needed some support and help. And um, so that is just one example. And then from there, it did become um, verbal, um, especially when I was in school. Um, It became to a point where it did get sort of physical as well. What did you find was the toughest age for, for bullying? Like what was what was the point where you where you think it reached like the absolute high point? Um, I would say when I was a youth or beginning like adolescent um, years. So I did go to a, so this is a little background. I did go to a um, integrated school um, in elementary where they had a specialized program for people that were blind or partially sighted to learn Braille. So it wasn't exactly like going to um, 
a full blind school like W. Ross, but it was a day school. So we it was just a, they had a specialized um, program, specialized classes for people, um, for children to um, come and do their schoolwork, but they were also integrated into the um, regular classes as well. Um, so that was, I, and when I um, started middle school, I came back to my home school. So for me, it was a big adjustment because a lot of these um, children or um, students already kind of knew each other from their own home or community schools. And I'm, I never went to my home school. I never went to the school where everybody else went. So I really didn't know anybody going in to my home school when I was um, 12. Yeah, I think, you know, I never, I was, they wanted, and I've mentioned this in a past episode in the first season, that uh, it was the recommendation of my elementary school that I go to a specialized school, um, something like what is now Holland Bloorview. Uh, but at the time, my mom. Oh, yeah, pushed, I know Holland Bloorview really well. Yeah, my mom pushed for me to be in an integrated public school with other kids that were did not have disabilities. And I think for me, the toughest part was because my mom had to be so involved in everything. I did have um, mm-hmm. an assistant. I had an assistant that was hired for both for me and for a boy with cerebral palsy in the class. And she took care of both of us. Mm-hmm. But people, mm-hmm. made, the people made fun of me, I think, because they saw how close I was to my mom. And my mom was like the only parent who would actually come into the classroom at the end of the day to pick me up because I was very, very, I don't know if it was that I was just immature at the time or that I really did need the assistance, but it became a thing that everybody knew my mom. And the first little while, everybody like they took, they really liked her. And it was, it was like, she was just kind of, you know, she, she came along with me. It was part of the package. And then I think as I got older, people started, especially as I got towards my preteen years, people started seeing it as a, as a point to make fun of me. Um, And so I remember my mom would usually go into the classroom on a day when I wouldn't be there. And I only did school part-time. So I never did a full-time schedule ever. Um, And I remember my mom would go once went into my grade seven class and I just started at a new school for junior high and she was explaining to the kids what my condition was and, you know, what you had to watch out for with me. And one of the boys who was quite a troublemaker himself said to my mom, is her heart condition the reason why she talks so loud? Oh. And <laughs> um, that was pretty funny because I do talk very, very loud, but that had nothing to do with the heart condition. But um I guess how involved were your parents in the entire thing? Yeah, so um, for sure. Uh, well, you know, for one, my the school system did push all throughout even my high school to, for me to go into um, the school for the blind, which a lot of you might know or might not know. Um, w. Ross, where you it's like a boarding school. You stay there and you come home on weekend. Um, my my mom said refused to put me in that. Um, she said nope. My daughter will be she has to learn to be able to adapt and grow in an integrated society. She cannot be in a school where, you know, there's everybody there. And then when she comes out, she's going to have a hard time adjusting to 
other, uh, you know, uh, quote unquote, normal people or regular people. So, um, but yes, I went as a child in elementary school, I did go because, um, you know, at that time, obviously with technology and, you know, everyone knowing what they knew, they thought uh, for me to learn Braille was the best option because of my eyesight. And we don't know, we didn't know at that time how fast it would deteriorate, what it would, what it would be long-term. So this is why as a child, I went to an integrated school to learn Braille, to have that skill set, skill set for the rest of my life. Um, and um, yes, even in that school, my mom did have to actually do quite a bit of advocating for me um, because unfortunately, now that I think about it and um, talking to my mom, being in grade one, I actually experienced racism as well. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, as, as a young, as a small kid, you know, you just want to be fit in and liked and be accepted. Um, and so my mom did have to basically, you know, advocate for me and um, speak to, you know, higher ups. Um, even there was like a few incidents like in my uh, grade four and five where I was getting bullied or how I was being treated and she had to contact the higher ups and then all um, that sort of thing. Um, moving on to like um, middle school, that was a little bit, um, they weren't as involved, I would say, um, as they were supposed to, because at the end of the day, I, I was able to come across as looking, quote, normal. And for me, it was the, the white cane. Like, if I were to take out that white cane, automatically, I'm identifying myself as a person with a disability, yeah. Um, so my yes, my mom always pushed it, it. Surprisingly, in this case, my mom always did push me and told me I need to use my white cane. It was me that was rebelling against that. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I get that, too. I get that because... I mean, and, and as a matter of fact, uh, for our listeners, Sarah and I had a quick conversation about this before we started recording about how for those of us with invisible disabilities, all it takes is one little thing to make that visible and suddenly everything changes. Um, and one of those items is a yeah. white cane. Yeah. Well, and I also want to say, so like, you know, when I started, when I started um, in my middle school, they did give me an EA. So that was the biggest um, identifier, right? Because I have this person that was following me around and coming with me to all my classes. And I had someone with me in gym class. And let me tell you, I did everything possibly I could to um, get myself away from that and like run away because I just didn't want it. Like the last thing you want to be labeled as in school is like a teacher following you because automatically kids just assume that you have like a, you know some sort of disability and a lot of times unfortunately they just think you have like a developmental or cognitive disability and the other thing is too is that kids if they see um a special assistant with you they might think that you like are a nerd or that you're really special as far as oh I get really good grades or something like that and they might see you as a threat with extra help. Cause I know like I had an EA as well fault. Like I met, I just mentioned a few minutes ago and she went with me to every single class and by golly, I loved her. She was amazing. But I mean, I'm sure people saw that and they're like, well, why does Jackie get somebody extra and we don't have any help. And although, although the EA, she would help other kids too. She was amazing. 
But, um, you know, I wonder if they thought, oh, she's just going to get better marks because she sucks up to the teachers or something. I have no proof of that. But who knows? I don't I don't think no, I don't think necessarily that was the case for me. I, I will have to say, though, that one of the vice principals, those three years of my middle school became my advocate and sort of became my best friend um, <laughs> and really helped me. Yeah, really helped me to grow. So in that sense, maybe I think people thought um, that I was sucking up to the principal and then, you know, being a teacher's pet or whatever is just because um, she she did whatever she could whenever she saw the bullying happen and, and stop it and prevent it. But there were certain times where it just happens under their nose, right? Um, for example, like when I would be in the cafeteria or when I would walk into the cafeteria, people would put garbage cans in front of me or things in front of me so I could trip and fall and then laugh at me. Or when I did use my white cane, they would purposely kick my white cane so it would fall on the floor. And then I'm, I, I don't have, I am like trying to um, look for it. And I had people calling me, you're faking to be blind. You're not blind. And a lot more um, worse things, which I'm not gonna <laughs> um, say. Um, but, and, and I had, you know, I had people spit on me or shut doors, uh, doors on me. So it was, and, you know, and, and when I was in grade eight, um, actually when this um, person, and it got to a point where they actually would follow me home or they lived in the same area and would throw rocks and things like that on my window and call me a blind beep beep. (laughs) Um, and it was, it was really hard because at this point it's happening off a school property. They can't really do anything about it. But actually my, one of my great, the grade eight teacher said, well, you're instigating this. So I kind of, at that time, I was a bit passive aggressive. I didn't really speak up. I would, what would happen if someone did something that I didn't like or that I was hurt by or made fun of me, I would just walk out or I would just, um, close up or um, just just leave the room and hide somewhere and then someone would have to come find me because uh, I can't be found. So I wouldn't say or lash out. There's been very few times where one time or a few times I, now that I think about it, it was probably not the wisest thing to do, but I was just so upset that I just threw my cane in the cafeteria because someone was, uh, you know, making fun of me and, and saying so much. I burst it out into tears and that's already embarrassing because you don't want to be you know, everyone's looking at you. Mm-hmm. I just threw my cane and I, and I walked away. And um, yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, I know I am, uh, you know, just for visuals, uh, for listeners, you know, I'm saying this a little bit with a smile or, you know, laughing about it. And I guess this is just the way I've kind of learned how to deal with it. But actually experiencing and going through it was the most hardest and darkest days Um of of my life or of of my school years they weren't the greatest they were not the happiest they were I was not in a good place but I will say that I did have a few really good support systems that were um looking out for me and were trying to do the best that I was um that I could because I was also um since I was the thing is that I was the only child in my uh, in my middle school 
that they had that had a visible disability or considered to have a visible disability. So even the school and uh, like the school staff didn't even know how much they're supposed to do or what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're yeah. like, well, she needs to have an EA. Um, she needs to use her white cane and and all of these things. So if for them, it was like a big learning process too and for that like I was I was a smart kid and stuff but because of my disability they put me in a special ed program I was put in one too so and I was getting I was getting A's and A pluses all throughout school and I was still in special education because at that time I mean I'm I'm about what I'm about nine years older than you so at that (laughs) time especially it was a it was even more stigmatized and um my experience actually has been quite, I don't think it's been quite what yours has been, but it's been similar to the effect of I did, I was really made fun of, I guess, between grade five and grade 10. I was okay before then. I mean, I did have an incident where in grade two, where a little boy twisted my ankles, not my ankle, sorry, my wrist on a playground. I don't know if this had anything to do with my disability. Um, But you know, I was probably fine, but I cried and cried and cried and I, I don't remember what happened after that. I hope that the the little boy who twisted my wrist and is now 36 years old is doing well. Um, but um, I remember in grade five, I was so behind in milestones as in like, I played catch up because I had been so socially isolated from other kids. And, you know, everybody's been socially isolated for about a year now because of COVID. But yeah. that was my life when I was growing up. It was yeah. like what everybody's experiencing with COVID now is what I had for the first maybe five, six years of my life. And so I didn't know how to interact properly with kids. And I'm mm-hmm. also an only child. So that doesn't help. I didn't mm-hmm. have brothers or sisters to learn from. And so when grade five came around and all the girls were already into boys and I was still like, you know, playing with my Barbie dolls and all that. And I was made fun of because I knew nothing about sex. So I was constantly made fun of because I wasn't interested in boys at that time at all. Couldn't have cared less. I was, I was, yeah, I was, I was slow because I was, I was very small and petite because of my Mm -hmm. heart condition. I was really slow to develop too. So I didn't go through puberty till I was much older. So because Mm -hmm. of that, I was left out a lot and made fun of. And then I think it got worse in grade six where pretty much all the boys in my class made fun of me, not the girls, but the boys. Mm-hmm. And then grade seven, eight, nine, and 10 were absolutely brutal. I, as oh, I yeah. said, I don't even for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think I had quite as bad an experience as, as you did. Cause yours sounds awful, but I do remember boys in grade eight playing monkey in the middle with my medication when I was trying to take my puffer because I took an, an, an inhaler for my, you know, my reactive airway disease. Uh, mm-hmm. every day at a certain mm-hmm. time. And when mm-hmm. I needed it, the boys were playing monkey in the middle. Um, and the unfortunate thing, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll wrap it up that basically grade nine was when I was shoved and pushed against a wall and held by a very popular girl. Um, mm-hmm. Grade 10 was probably the last of it. And then it phased out after grade 10 and I wasn't made fun of anymore. Uh, but what I will say is that unfortunately, because of my experience Um, And you said you became passive aggressive. I did something even worse. I started bullying other kids because I was 
I wish I, I had the guts to do that. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. So I started bullying other kids. And I mean, I want to, nobody probably, the, the kids that I bullied are watching this anymore, but I do want to apologize because it was basically because I didn't know how, how to deal with my own situation. And I was also right, told- Right, and everyone, everyone reacts differently when, when they are experiencing something, right? Like sometimes- yeah you know you, in your case you regress back like you put you push back um in other case uh, you know um like for me I stayed silent or then I en- ended up having you know like mental health um issues yeah and I think too you know I don't know what it was like for you but for my per- at my time like this was late 90s I was told basically to suck yeah. it up and live with it and ignore it and I think that was, you know, that's what they did back in the late nineties. I hope yeah. that that's not the way it is anymore. I don't think it is anymore um, because you should not be ignoring it. If you're being bullied, absolutely do not ignore it. You need to get help um, because this will have an impact on your mental health when you're an adult or when absolutely. you're at the time. And let me did like, you know, actually not speaking about this, like in, in not in, like, I'm, I'm, I'm totally fine with it, but like it's bought bad memories that, that I was also cyber bullied. Like yeah. back then I had MSN. So <laughs> I was bullied on MSN as well. And I, you know, uh, so it's like, you know, I have a home and I knew this person, this person was, in my grade, in my class, at school, they were totally different with me or the surroundings. But then I was getting bullied online. So unfortunately, I've had the experience of being bullied in all different aspects. And cyberbullying is the worst because unless you know you can go to someone and print out your conversations and and do something about it, other than that, like it's it's just silent between you and and that person yeah and um and and yeah and that happened and then when I was in in high school there were times where people would write remarks um in the bathrooms and and things like that and it you know and high school has its own you know labeling and and own kind of fitting into that whole system so unfortunately I did have you know was bullied in high school as well and number one again when I went into high school they out of the 2,000 kids I was the only kid that had a a visual impairment or that was blind and and for one the 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 staff or the admin didn't even know how to be like well she has to use her cane and I'm like I don't want to use my cane and I think with bullying and then on top of like dealing with the school system the integrated school system made me really resent me as a person and my disability a lot more because the the only thing I wanted is just to fit in normally yeah right and back then I kept on saying normally but now I know you know I say quote normally because not everybody is quote unquote normal everyone is struggling or has some uh, something going on whether it's physical or invisible but yeah that was just my only thing is I just wanted to fit in normally have friends and just be um I don't know liked or accepted for who I am and I think that I'm I'm thinking from what I'm seeing that this might be changing now again uh, you don't have a kid yet uh, my kid is still in 
my uterus. So <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't know what it's going to be like when she gets to school. I don't know what it's going to be like when your kids get to school. Um, but I would hope that things are changing now to accept the fact that different is normal. And that was not a thing back in my day or in your day. Um, the interesting thing was for me, my bullying stopped. Like people stopped bullying me when suddenly they noticed that I had an interest in boys. And that was really weird because uh, what happened was this was the year 2000. So I was completely obsessed with Enrique Iglesias. And it was my obsession with Enrique Iglesias that suddenly made me normal because I liked a boy and people would make, would, would like poke fun at it in a good way. And so they would write like Jackie plus Enrique on a blackboard and stuff like that. <laughs> and suddenly I was accepted. Yeah. And so for, so I really, and I, I actually developed a lifelong friend out of that obsession who ended up being my maid of honor at my wedding. And she's still one of my best friends. So, you know, it kind of brought me the, the peace that the peace and quiet and an end to the bullying, which, so I, I kind of have to thank Enrique for that. Uh, mm. But at the same time, I still had remarks made to me in the few years that followed. So um, another person who is no longer a friend, and I've mentioned this on our Instagram, um, had said to me, how do you get up every morning with your heart condition? I would kill myself. And I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with my life? It's great. And this was like right around 9-11 too. So it was like mm -hmm. the, the remark came at like the wrong time. Um, I think it was like, like a couple of days before 9-11 or after 9-11 that she said this. And I was like, yeah. really? Like, this is, this is, why did you have to tell me this, that you would kill yourself if you were me? Like that, that's not, my life is great. I don't know what you're talking about. So I would still have not bullying, but in these insensitive remarks and people not really well, yeah. thinking about what and, they're saying. And unfortunately, like that, those always just happen. Like I had people like, why don't you just, go die or go you know like you you shouldn't you know I would have like you shouldn't be able to come to the school or like just a lot of remarks but I still consider that a form of verbal bullying yeah right um you know bullying is still happening today um just me uh doing some mentoring and working with some um individuals or young kids and things like that um I've I'm still hearing of it and I'm still seeing of it it might just be happening in different forms it might not be as severe or it might be um it's just that sometimes the, the common thing is, is like uh you know people just don't want to be friends or make you a part of their uh crew if you just even look or sound different so yeah. unfortunately it it still exists. It's still happening. I, I hope that, you know, that schools are doing more awareness and educating and, you know, um, having more kids that are have any type of physical disabilities be integrated and, and talk about it and things like that. But the end result is it's still happening. I've heard it. I've seen it. And it breaks my heart to know that, children and young people are still facing this still on a daily basis. Yeah. And you know what? It can happen to adults too, because I was constantly, oh, yeah, I was constantly bullied by my first boyfriend who was ashamed of my medical condition. And I have talked about this also in a previous episode that he was so ashamed of my medical condition that when I mentioned it to someone, an acquaintance of his, and just lightly that I had, um, you know, I had bad lungs and I needed an inhaler. 
he flew off the deep end and he was like, it, you shouldn't be telling her this. This is not. And then when I went away with him, he kept me basically, you know, almost like I was captive in his apartment for five days. Uh, Cause he lived, he didn't live in Toronto during the school year. He lived in Ottawa for his school. Mm-hmm. And so he mm-hmm. took me to Ottawa and he didn't want to show me off to his friends. He was ashamed of my medical condition. And, you know, I, think about now all the things I could have said to him and that I probably should have broken it off, you know, way earlier than I actually did. It took me a long time to get the courage to break it off, but um, he was ashamed of me. So this can happen still when you're an adult, this is not, yeah, just because when you turn 18, it doesn't mean that, or when you leave school, it doesn't mean that it stops. It can happen in university settings as well. People are constantly bullied in university settings. You hear about incidents happening in Toronto, um, two people who are struggling with mental health issues, they are bullied to the point where they might want to take their own life. And this is not fair and not cool and something needs to be done about it. Now, Sarah, what advice would you give to people right now? Anybody who's listening to us right now, if you're a teenager, you're in junior high, elementary school, or you're in, you know, a young adult, what advice would you give to someone right now who's being bullied how to advocate for themselves and make sure that they're per- the people who are doing the bullying are held accountable for their actions. Yeah, sure. So number one is you have to be able to build that courage to, to speak up and go to someone that you can trust and that will support you. It, it's a really hard step. I I can say in this case, I'm going to say I can understand being through it, having experienced it. Um, So you really need to reach out, whether it's your parents, whether it be someone at school, whether it be like, you know, a best a best friend that can maybe help you go to the right and appropriate um, people. Um, But it's to step up and to um, let people know what's going on what's been happening if it's cyberbullying I would suggest you know keeping a record of these um of these conversations so you do have um you do have proof and you know um you're not you're not alone in this um so do know that I know that a lot of times we feel like we're the only one and we say why me and you know we get a lot of deep and dark thoughts um I will say this coming from experience stay strong and just believe in yourself and it will it will pass you just have to be able to pick up that courage which is really really hard when you are going through something so difficult and so hard and not wanting um you know, to, to deal with it, but, um, it's going to make you a stronger person on the other side and take this opportunity. Once you're able to, to educate and bring awareness about it, the more education and the more awareness we do about our disabilities or the bullying, the better it is for the society and the more impact we will have. There's not enough voices out there to speak about bullying and disabilities and invisible disabilities and mental health because not people realizing that mental health plays a very big toll, especially as a youth. And um, when we're accepting and trying to fit in and all of these things into school and on top of that, when you're struggling with something else, it's a lot. 
And I wanted to pass on to that, you know, if anybody who's watching us is having thoughts that are disturbing or about ending their own life, Canada does have a suicide prevention line that you can call, which is 833-456-4566, or you can text START, all in uppercase, to 741741. There's a lot of resources out there. Um... And it's hard. It's really hard to take that step and to reach out. So, but just know that you're not, you're not alone. And we are blessed to be in a place that there are so many resources that can um, help you and get you the right help that is needed. So if you want to call Kids Help Phone, it's one 800 668 6868. You can also go to kidshelpphone.ca. You can text them. You can phone them. They actually, this is great. Uh, they have Facebook Messenger options, live chat. Um, they are really staying current with, you know, with kids today, which is really good to see. Um, so again, we will put up a list of resources on uh, our YouTube. If you look under this video, you'll see that there's a list of resources that you can call. But always definitely, I mirror Sarah's words exactly. If you're in a place like this, speak up right away. Don't wait to get help. Don't worry that you're going to be made fun of more because you're going to get help or because you're being a tattletale, which was what I was ta- constantly told. Mm-hmm. Stop being a tattletale. No, this is not. It's, it's 2021. Get help. People know that this is not acceptable behavior anymore. And, you know, I would like to kind of go back and say to the people who bullied me, um, I turned out okay. You know, I, I, it was rough, but I turned out okay. You didn't bring me down. I've so far had a very, very successful life. So what have you done? (laughs) So kind of something like that. Um, But uh, any last words that you want to share? Um. No, I was just like, you know, um, anyone that's coming from a, um, a different background or a colored background, you know, there is a lot of stigmas and things around that as well. So, you know, you can, you can do it. We need to be the voices and, and speak up and put an end um, to it. And sometimes in some cases, you know, parents might not be the right option. They might not understand or they might not know how to help. So knowing um, where, you know, finding a safe place, finding someone that you trust that is safe to go go to them and you're not going to be considered a tattletale. You're not going to be considered that you did anything wrong. You're going to be like, know that you are doing the right thing and you should be proud for taking that step. Thank you. That's definitely important because, uh, yeah, because uh, families who arrive in Canada from other countries, it might be a little bit different. There might be more of a taboo around talking about it. Um, I know, like, even with my family, it was, and my parents were both born in Canada, but still it was it was a generational thing coming from baby boomers. If you were made fun of, you just ignore it. So, um, you know, that's really good that, and definitely don't be afraid to speak up if you're going through something like this. It doesn't matter what community you're from, what color your skin is, what other things you might have in your life, whether you're straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, or non-binary, you have a right to speak up and you have a right to not be bullied and you have a right to feel safe. 
let me one more last thing i'm just gonna say guys like honestly now i forgot about all the um trials and tribulations that i have had to de- dealt with as a child and all the things that i have been through and have come over on the other side and now that i'm even going through this next like hurdle in my life of recovering from my car accident I've been reminded by a few people that have been close to me that have been part of my support system and have watched me grow remind me that on my darkest days even now because I've had some dark ones remind me that you can do it and you dealt with a lot worse and you came out on the other side and sometimes it's not a good reminder in this case that it is a good reminder because I guess my brain has just blocked out and forgotten all the things that I have overcome and it's nice to sometimes hear that to know that yes I've dealt with a lot worse and I've had to go through a lot worse to where I am but it's made me a stronger person so this is I'm mental like this is nothing what I'm experiencing right now it's different but it's also nothing considered what I've had to go through as a youth and as a child. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people who have had difficulties like us, I mean, yeah, it's terrible that we have to go through it, but it does make you stronger. It does make you tougher. And um, I probably, you know, <laughs> I I can totally relate on that level. Um, anyway, I thank you so much for this really insightful talk today. And again, we will put uh, help numbers down below if you're watching us on YouTube and you need to talk to someone, definitely reach out. Don't be afraid. And um, as always, if you ever want to bounce ideas past us, you can. You can contact us at what's the difference podcast at gmail.com or message us over Instagram at what's the difference podcast, Twitter, we're at podcast WTD. And we even have Facebook, even though Facebook doesn't seem to nobody seems to find us on Facebook but we do have it it's what's the difference podcast as well so you can always reach out to us on Facebook too thank you Sarah for all your uh, your insight today and we will be back with another episode next month bye everyone you've been listening to what's the difference podcast to hear all of our episodes or to watch our videos visit what's the difference podcast.ca